Let's pray as we get started and jump into the word. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing. God, it is a privilege and honor to be a part of your church. And God, I pray as we open up your word today that you would open up our eyes. Help us to see the truth in it, God. We know that without your Holy Spirit, God, we would be dead. And so thank you that you have made us alive in Christ and help us to continue to see the truth in your word. If there's anybody here, God, that doesn't know you, we pray that you would save them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you got a Bible, open it up to 2 John, 2 John, uh, just in case you forgot, it's right after 1 John, and that joke was funnier last week, but I'm going to say it again anyway this week. So 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, we're teaching through these three for the summer, and we'll wrap this up on uh, Labor Day weekend, so we're going to wrap up 2 John today, and then we'll look at 3 John for the next two weeks. But in 2 John, we're going to pick right up where we left off last week, and we ended last week in verse 7, and just in case you weren't here or you don't remember, but verse 7 ended with the, the statement that many deceivers have gone out into the world. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, so therefore we must be diligent in walking in the truth. And we're going to pick up in verse 8 today, and it's going to be that same concept of saying we've got to watch ourselves or watch out because there are many lies out there, many deceivers out there, or people that are loving in lies, and so the truth is the most important. So we're going to pick up in verse 8 and then work our way to the end of the letter, which is verse 13. So let's jump in. John says this, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full Reward. Let's try that again. Watch what? Yourselves. For you knew, I like for you to call and respond every now and then. You too as well, Jasper. Let's try that again. Watch what? Yourselves. Yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Now, he gives us a very important command here, and it is a command in saying, watch yourselves. Now, I had you say that word with me because I want to highlight the fact that first and foremost, who you and I are supposed to watch is ourselves. And this word here, watch, is the Greek word blepo. It means to see. And the idea of it used here is to see yourselves. And I would say to see yourselves correctly. See yourself correctly. And if there is one thing that I have learned in following Jesus now for 20 plus years, it's that without the Holy Spirit, I do not have proper self-awareness. I do not have proper self-awareness because I am always going to assume the best about myself and almost always assume the worst about everybody else. That is pretty much the human condition. If I'm in a situation, it's not my fault, it's your fault, right? And so the command of Scripture is first and foremost, watch yourself. Why? Because you may not be aware of yourself. I used to say this all the time when I first moved here nine and a half years ago because our church was in a very dysfunctional state. And so I'd always say to people, the most dysfunctional people are the ones who don't know they are. Let me say that again because I think it bears to be repeated. The most dysfunctional person is the person who doesn't know they're dysfunctional. Does that make sense? And so therefore, the definition of dysfunction is the harder you try, the worse it gets. 
Have you ever just kept trying something and trying something and trying something and it just kept getting worse? That's because you're dysfunctional. But here's the thing. What makes you dysfunctional is that you don't know you're dysfunctional. And so you think you should just try harder. So what John is saying is before you try anything, watch yourself. Pay attention to yourself. Be careful of yourself. Look out for yourself. And I'm not saying this in a somehow you neglect other people. Again, we'll get into that in a second. But what I'm saying is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, which I just read this morning as a part of our Bible reading plan. And I'm a little bit behind on my Bible reading plan. I just say that so that you know I'm human as well. All right. And so it's all right. You get a little behind. You get caught up. And so I was reading Matthew 7 this morning. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, talked about... How in the world can you see correctly to get a speck out of somebody else's eye before you first take the log out of your own? Now, look at the imagery that Jesus is using there. In fact, some translations say a speck of sawdust and then a log in your own. Now, just imagine the picture here. Just picture somebody with a log coming out of their eye. You think they could see correctly? And, and here's the part where Christians create so much damage. They bend over to get the speck out of somebody else's eye, and they smack that person with the log in their own. Think about it. Jesus is saying, you hypocrite. How in the world can you see correctly to get the speck out of somebody else's eye until you deal with the log in your own? And that's really the image that John is saying here. He's saying, hey, watch yourself first. Have self-awareness about your own own struggles, about your own sin, and deal with what's going on in you first. Because if you don't, then you can't help somebody else properly. Again, the reason why you can't help somebody is because you'll actually do more damage to them because you're smacking them around with your own dysfunction. And so John gives the command here, watch yourself, pay attention, be careful. Why? So that you, which is singular, may not lose what we, plural, have worked for, but may win a full reward. Now, this is so important, and I want to explain a concept to you before I show you how it applies to the scripture that Lindsay and I worked on while I was gone during our break in June. The first week that Lindsay and I were gone... We went and spent a few days with Chip Judd, who came and did our marriage conference here. He's a pastor, a counselor, a friend. I always call him Yoda. He's just that crazy smart guy. And so when he was here, he told me, he said, Jason, you need to come spend a couple days with me. I said, okay, let's do it. So Lindsay and I packed up, went to Charleston for a few days and worked on our life. And the reason why that is so important is because we can be so busy in our life, just going here, going there, doing this, doing that where we don't step back and work on our life and make sure that all the things we're doing are actually going to get us to where we want to go. And so Lindsay and I spent a couple days with him just working on our life. And he was talking about the story where Jesus has a conversation with the blind man and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And Chip was relating that to our own life and said, Jason, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What is it that you want. 
And then we went to a service that night at the church, and amazingly, it's almost like there's a God. A pastor got up. He was a speaker from UK, and we were listening to him, and he literally preached out of the same text and asked the same question, what do you want? All right, God, I I hear you. You're speaking in stereo now. You ever had that happen? You know, you're just hearing the same thing over and over again. That's God more often than not. And so we went back and said, okay, what do we want? And Chip described this whole process that he got out of this book called Aligned Thinking, which I would highly recommend to all of you. Uh, It's an older book. It's a very easy read. And the whole premise of the book is simply this. And this is the words in the book. What's your primary desire? What is it that you want? And what are the necessary conditions you need to do to get what you want? And here's what Chip told me. And this is worth the whole message right here. Chip said, Jason, you don't get what you want by doing what you want. Now think about that. You don't get what you want by doing what you want. Let's use this as an analogy, something that typically a lot of us want. We want to be healthy. We want to you know, be fit. Well, if that's what you want, then you're not gonna get what you want by doing what you want. Because what is it that you want to do? Eat a gallon of Rocky Road, right? You want to eat burgers and fries and pork. I mean, you know, you, that's what you want to do. But here was the connection. He said, Jason, you don't get what you want by doing what you want. And so one of the things that we worked on, and I will talk about this later in a few months in a series we're going to do about the church, is what is it you want? And what do I need to do to get what I want? And so Lindsay and I thought about our own life, and and, and I want to relate it to you like this as it relates to this verse, and I'll show you how it connects. When I moved here, back in 2010, I was 31 years old. 31. My birthday's next month, just in case you forgot. And so I'll be 40 next month, so I've been here for nine years. And when we moved here, 31 years old, Lindsay and I had made the comment several times that this was a 40-year decision for us. And what we meant by that is we wanted to invest our life in a church. If God would grant it, if it would be his will, we wanted to be there for decades to really build something, to really really work with God to see a movement happen that was bigger than any one local church. And so we would make the comment several times as a 40-year decision now. Here's the crazy part. I've been here for nine years, and so that would mean I've got 31 years left. So I was 31 when I got here. We got 31 years left. And so we took this concept of like, okay, what do do I want in ministry? And as simple as I could make it, I said, I want to be faithful to Jesus and fruitful. I want to be faithful and fruitful. So working with that with Chip and Lindsay, I was like, if that's what I want, then what do I need to do to get what I want? What I need to do to get what I want is I need to be healthy emotionally, spiritually, physically, if I'm going to keep doing this till I'm 71, I got to take care of my body. I got to take care of my spirit. I got to take care of my mind. And so it gave us this very simple framework and I've been teaching it to our staff, to our board. Again, I'll teach it in more detail to you later, but I just want to give you this framework as it relates to this verse. And here's why John says, what you should want is a full reward. You should want that. And it's okay to want that. He says, don't lose what we work for, but win a full reward. I don't know about you, but I want to win. And it's not in the sense that I'm competitive, that I want to beat you down, but 
Let me say it to you like this. Do you want everything that Jesus has for you? Yeah, it's what you want. And here's the amazing thing about the Bible. Jesus has a lot for you. And Jesus said it over and over. You can go back and look at the Gospels. That anybody who sacrificed for his kingdom will be rewarded a hundred times over in this life and in the next. So I don't know about you. I want that reward. And not because it's selfish, but because it's from Jesus. Because I want what Jesus wants for me. And what Jesus wants for me is to be everything for me. To bless me. And blessing, we're so shallow in the West because we just think blessing is money. And so Jesus wants that for us. Jesus told us that. And here John is picking up on this and saying, listen, you want to win a full reward. The word full means as much as possible. And when you meet Jesus, when you go to, uh, when you die, when you stand before God, you will be judged first and foremost about whether or not you knew Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you will spend an eternity without God. If you do know Jesus, you'll spend an eternity with God. Then believers will face another judgment where everything that we did in this life will be judged for its merit. Jesus uses the analogy of it's going to be burned up and anything that was worthy will stay. Anything else will not. So the point is that's how we're rewarded based upon our good works. So our good works don't get us into heaven. Jesus's good work does, but our rewards are based upon that. And so John is arguing here, listen, if that's what you want, then what do you need to do to get what you want? You need to watch yourself. Now, here's why this is so important in the church. So often in church world, and this is where I got convicted when I was away. So often in church world, we just tell people what they need to do. You need to read your Bible. You need to pray. You need to fast. Everybody loves it when I tell them that one which we got our church-wide prayer and fasting come up in January. Just get ready. I'm warning you now, all right? Don't go all Fat Tuesday on it. I'm just saying you need to get ready because we're going to do that again. Give all the things that Jesus told us in Matthew 6, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, not if. But in the church world, the mistake we make is we just tell people what they need to do, and we don't tie what they need to do in that it's going to give them what they want. So let me say it to you like this. If you want everything Jesus has for you, if you want everything that Jesus wants for you, if you want that, then what do you need to do? You need to watch yourself. How do you watch yourself? You pray, you read your Bible, you fast, you give, you have a community of people. So what I'm saying to you is this, the motivation to do what you need to do has got to be tied to what you want. If it's not tied to what you want, you'll quit doing it. Because you're intrinsically motivated to make yourself happy. The great mystery of the Bible is happiness is only found in what Jesus wants for you. There is joy to be had. And here's why I'm saying this to you. If you want the fullness of joy, he's going to say it in just a minute. If you want that, then what do you need to do to get what you want? You need to watch yourself. So it helps frame things differently. Now you know, oh, I need to do what I need to do to get what I want. The reason why that's so important is so often the things that we need to do aren't necessarily fun in and of themselves. It's not always fun eating rabbit food, right? I mean, it's not always fun waking up at six o'clock in the morning and working out. But when it's tied to what I want, I'll have all the motivation I need to do it because I don't get what I want by doing what I want. Here's what John is saying to the church. Very similar. You want a full reward? Watch yourself. Watch yourself. 
so that you don't lose what we worked for. Now, let's talk about that. I love this. You, like I said, will stand before God alone. I won't stand with you. Your wife won't stand with you. Your husband won't stand with you. Your mom and dad won't stand with you. The Bible says we will not be married in the next stage. We will not have the same type of relationships that we had here. That's why you can't build your identity on anything else, your gender, your sexuality, anything like that, because in the next life, we won't be married. We won't have that type of thing. It'll be different, and you will stand before God alone. So you will have to give an account of yourself. But I love how John puts that in a plural form now. So let me say it to you like this. If you want to win a full reward then, then you need a we now. If you want it then, you need a we now. I love how he says that you may not lose what we have worked for. Let me give you an analogy. This last week, Lindsay and I we're in Nashville hanging out with our church planning network and we're you know, always trying to multiply. That's what our church is all about and plant new churches. And so we were there and working together with several pastors and friends of ours. And one of our pastor friends that lives in Michigan, he started off our time together with this devotional and he talked about redwood trees. Now, I love the redwood trees on the northwest part of our country and these redwood trees, they're huge. They grow up to like 350 feet, over 500 tons. And some of them, are the trunks are so big, we've cut it out. You know, a car can drive through it. Just the picture of that, because our whole vision here as a church is to grow people. And we use the tree as an analogy for that. But he said something that I had never really quite heard before and hadn't researched. He said, what's amazing about a redwood tree is they live for hundreds of years. They go up hundreds of feet in the air. But... It baffled scientists initially because they do not have roots that go any deeper than 10 feet. Now think about this. Anytime you see a high-rise building, when it goes up hundreds of feet in the air, you know it goes hundreds of feet in the ground. It has to tap into a bedrock because if not, then that building won't be able to withstand the forces of nature against it. And so a redwood tree has no taproot, and its roots typically go down only 6 to 10 feet. And here was his point. He said, well, how in the world can a redwood tree survive hundreds and hundreds of years? Do you want to know how? Their roots intertwine with other redwood trees. They intertwine. In fact, they grow so close together, sometimes they often merge into one tree. And so the way that a redwood tree can survive hundreds of years, 500 tons, over 350 feet tall, is they're connected to other redwoods. The strength of the forest is what holds up the individual tree. They will span out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet. And so beneath the surface, about six to 10 feet, there's a web of a root system that's holding up all those individual trees. And his point was, and the point I'm making to you is that's a picture of the church. Each one of us, individual trees, we will be judged on our own merits but below the surface, we've got to have a root system that ties into, intertwines to other trees, other people that keep us rooted and grounded. If not, you will not be able to withstand the forces of this life. That's what the power of the church is for. And yes, part of that happens as we gather here on Sundays, 
because we're connecting to one another, but that happens even deeper in groups and teams. And that's why we have those two things that you can join into a relational root system because none of us are self-made. None of us. I'm not, there is no self-made man. There is no self-made woman. Every single one of us are a product of the relational root systems in our life. I'll never forget. I didn't grow up going to church. I've said this often. I got saved as a teenager, but the moment that I got saved, I went to a small East Texas Baptist church and I had a Sunday school teacher, a husband and a wife. I didn't even know what that was, but Bill and Arlene Huckabee poured into my life as a young teenager. And I would go on Sundays. My family wasn't even going yet. And I would listen to them and they would talk about the stories of the Bible and they invested in my life. I'm a product of their investment in my life. I'll never forget Brother Charles, who was the pastor of that church when I got saved. And his preaching was so Jesus saturated and so, I mean, he just loved Jesus. He was in his early 70s when he died and he never quit just being joyful about God and what God was doing. He shaped me as an early believer. And on and on and on in my life, God would provide root systems, relationships that I needed to continue to grow in him. And arguably one of the greatest relationships that has ever happened in my life outside of Jesus is the one with my wife. And I want to stand before you as your pastor and tell you, I would not continue to be here today if it were not for her. Her investment in my life, and I say my life, but it's our life. The only reason why I've been able to endure is because I've had to borrow so often the faith of my wife and her love. And without that, I wouldn't have been able to withstand. My own kids, my family, a lot of you. And the point I'm trying to make is this. You will lose out if you don't have a we to keep you grounded. You need other believers. And what that means is this. You better have relationships in your life. You don't have to have a hundred of them, but you need a handful of them. Of people in your life that know you, that your mask is off with, that you're honest with, that can ask you questions about how you're really doing. Because if you don't have that, then the the mistake you'll make will be verse 9, where he says, you'll go on from the teaching of Christ. You'll move on from it. You won't abide in the teaching of Christ, because that is what our world is constantly trying to get us to do. The word literally means to progress beyond. The idea of it is, as you went outside the boundaries, Jesus gave us his teaching, and in that teaching is the truth, because he is the truth. And so if you kind of think about it like this, that there's a circle around your life, and if you live in that, you'll be fruitful. You'll abide there. But what is the world going to constantly get you to do to try to move outside of that, to move outside of the boundaries of marriage that God set up, to move outside the boundaries of morality that God set up? To move outside the boundaries of how you're to do your finances, how you're to do your fitness, how do you do your family. The world is always going to try to get you to progress outside of that. And here's what I'm saying. If you don't have somebody in your life that when the moment you start progressing that way that pulls you back down, it's only a matter of time before you find yourself outside. And this is where we wrestle with the fact of are they saved or not? And I got to tell you, I don't know. I mean, 
The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died, that God raised Jesus from the dead, you'll be saved. But then Jesus also said in Matthew 7 and 8, all those who said, Lord, Lord, don't know me. Which one is it? I don't know. You better watch yourself. You see what I'm saying? And so the people that go outside of that, you think, are they believers? I don't know. Because John seems to be saying, I love how one commentary says it like this, perseverance is the proof of possession. Let me read that again. It's too good. I didn't come up with it. Perseverance is the proof of possession. You want to know how I possess a good and healthy relationship with my, with my wife? We persevere. This is why we should celebrate people that make it decades in their marriage. Because perseverance proved possession. Does that mean they didn't have hard times? Oh, you better believe they are. You don't live with somebody for decades without hard times, man. Come on. But the same is true in our relationship with Christ. Again, we, we keep having these debates. Is this person saved or is this person not saved? I don't know, but here's what I do know. Saved people abide in Christ. Beyond that, I'm speculating. And so here's the point. You better have some people that keep you grounded in the truth of who Jesus is. Because there's going to be times in your life, the flesh, the world, and the devil tries to pull you outside of that. And if you don't have people that can pull you back in and say, listen, bro, you got a log in your eye. You're not seeing correctly. You think the grass is greener on the other side? You think that if you traded in this 40-year marriage with another 20, then, then you think, oh, the grass is greener over there? No, 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 no. The grass is green where you water it, bro. It's not greener on the other side. That's somebody else's grass. You water your own grass. And guess what? It'll be green. But here's the thing. You're like, well, I did water. Ain't nothing happened. Growth takes time. So you need people in your life that are honest enough with you to say, if you step outside of that, I can't say for sure that you're saved. I can't say for sure. God is not going to, this is where people like, I just believe God's going to bless this decision. Listen, if it was opposite of his will, he will not bless it. He can't. Why would he? Now, if you repent and come back, yes, he'll bless that. But you see what I'm saying? This is the warning that John is giving. You got to abide. And how do I abide? You have a we that keep you grounded as you watch yourself. But here's what I know. No one has lied to me more than me. No one has deceived me more than me. And so in order for me to have self-awareness, I have to first admit that I have self-deception. I have blind spots and I need people to point those out that are in relationship with me. Because if not, it's not a guarantee that I'll abide. Now, in that spirit, he moves on. Look at verse 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Now, a little word on this because it can be confusing because it seems like John is saying, do not let anybody into your house that doesn't believe in Jesus. Don't even welcome them in. But we know from other verses of scripture that the Bible talks about hospitality, welcoming strangers, loving your neighbor as yourself. And almost always your neighbor is nothing like yourself. And so obviously John is not saying 
Don't welcome people into your house that don't have the same belief system to you. What is he saying? Well, you have to understand the communal nature in which John is writing here. He's writing to a different group of people at a different group of time. And, and in that day and in that age, you had a very Eastern mindset. We live in a very Western mindset. And a very Western mindset is an individual mindset. But an Eastern mindset is a communal mindset. And so when you had a community, especially in first century, you had a group of people that were living together and they raised their kids together. They did everything together. And so the strength was in the community. And so if one person in the community lets somebody in from the outside, they're not just giving them a place to stay. They are saying to the community, this person is safe and I endorse them. I endorse them. I'm supporting them. The idea of if you let someone stay at your house, because it wasn't just a one-night thing, the idea is, because remember, they didn't have Motel 6s back then where they left the light on. They didn't even have lights, right? And so when you let them stay, you were kind of giving them a base of operations for whatever they were doing, which you're going to see in 3 John. He encourages them to do that in a good way. But here he's saying, if you let someone into your house in this kind of way, what is happening back then, it functions differently today, but you're endorsing that person and supporting that person. So here's how it applies, I think, to 21st century Americans or the 21st century church. Yes and amen, we should have relationships with unbelievers and we should invite them into our house and cook them a great steak. But we have to be very careful who we publicly endorse who we publicly stand with and their platform. I'm going to push you a little bit here, but hang with me. Don't throw tomatoes. With, with Christianity, with the gospel being the most important platform that we could ever stake our life in. I think we would all agree to that. There is nothing more important than the gospel of Christ. So therefore, you and I have to be very careful what other platforms we stand for. Now, this would apply definitely politically in our country today. As Christians, we have to be very careful not to plant our flag in any one party or in any one person outside of the person of Jesus Christ. Because, listen to me, because when we do that, we are endorsing everything that person says and does. We are supporting them. We are saying we are enabling them to do what they do. And this is why it is so vital for us to not stand on any other message than Jesus Christ and his gospel and the good news and the hope that we are all longing for is not in the president, but in the person of Christ. And that applies, listen, to whatever party's in office, because half of you here, your party ain't. The other half, your party was. Listen, that changes all the time. But you and I can't stand on any other platform or take any other offense other than the offense of Jesus. Because if we do, if we do hear me, we lose our witness to some measure. Because we unintentionally send a message that politics is most important, not preaching the gospel. So I think that's how it applies to us. You and I just have to be extremely careful. 
extremely careful who we endorse and what we endorse because nothing, nothing will last beyond the kingdom of God. The kingdoms of men will fall. Now, I don't want our country to fall. Absolutely not. And so, yes, I vote according to the gospel and the morality, but that doesn't mean that as a Christian, I'm tied to any one person or any one party. I'm only tied to Jesus. And so sometimes if there ain't the right candidate, you just write in Jesus. Because <laughs> that's your party. Are you with me when I say that? You have no other party affiliation outside of the community of Christ. So John is saying, watch out. Watch out. Last couple verses. Verse 12 and 13. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Letter over. Now, I want to highlight a couple things here again, because in 21st century America, we have forgotten what it means to have face-to-face conversations. Face-to-face here in the Greek literally means mouth-to-mouth. That doesn't mean mouths are touching, but, but the idea of it is our mouths are close. Now, hopefully the other person's got a mint, right? Or you like them at least. If you're one of those close talkers, we can still talk face-to-face if you back up a little, all right? (laughs) But the idea is this. Nothing. No digital platform. And I love technology. I got a microphone and we got lights and AC. Yes, praise Jesus, amen. (laughs) But nothing can replace face-to-face connection. Why? Because we now know your brain has a different visceral reaction from when you see somebody in person from when you see them on just a FaceTime call. We know. And so when I say FaceTime, I'm not talking necessarily about the app on your phone. Now, FaceTime lets you see your grandkids four states away. Yes and amen. Do it. But don't let that replace seeing them face to face. Why? John says, there's a certain joy that you miss. He says, so that our joy, our joy may be complete. He says, I have much to write you, but I would rather do it face to face. See, one of the things I'm afraid of is we're raising a whole generation of kids that know how to connect digitally, but suffer greatly in connecting personally. This is why Lindsay and I always try to put our kids in uncomfortable situations like that. They got to figure it out. If they don't ever stick their foot in their mouth in a public setting, what are they going to do when they go to college? If they don't know how to handle themselves, they don't know how to shake a hand. They don't know how to say hi. They don't know how to verbalize what they're saying instead of just with their texts. You know, I don't know what that noise was. I'm just making us. (laughs) But even as parents, as pastors, we have got to fight for face-to-face conversations. Again, you don't need a hundred, but you need a handful. And and I got to be honest with you, and my wife would amen this one. I wrestle with this one. And I don't know, partly because I'm a man, partly because of my personality, partly because of my upbringing. I just struggle with having honest face-to-face conversations because so often I would just rather hide. But you know what I've realized? That the more that I'm honest face-to-face, 
the better my soul feels. It's been amazing to me that so often I've been tempted in some way. And again, that temptation is to go outside of the boundary of Christ. That can only be fulfilled within the relationships of the body of Christ. So let me say it to you like this. If you want to fight that, have healthy relationships. The best way to fight off those things is having a healthy marriage, having healthy friendships. Some of the greatest moments of my day is when we sit down as a family, normally on Natalie's bed because we're tucking her in first, and we just lay there and talk, and we pray together. And then most times Jackson goes and takes a shower because he stinks, and then he's got two hours of homework. And, and then sometimes Natalie and I will just lay there together, and we'll just have face-to-face conversation. How was your day, babe? Were you mean to anybody? Was anybody mean to you? We just talk and connect. Some of the best moments of my life is sitting across the table from my wife or sitting on the couch with my wife and and just having face-to-face conversations. Babe, how was your day? And I'm just self-aware to say I'm not good at that, but I'm growing in that. And what's amazing is the more I do that, the more my heart's at rest. And the opposite is also true. The more that I'm getting FaceTime on my phone with news and apps on my phone, I can literally feel the brain cells leaving. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever been online for like two hours plus and your brain's just so saturated with information, you feel like you just need to go do push-ups or eat dirt, something just to feel human again? You know what I'm saying? Like... I got to know that this is, I'm not living in some digital reality. Nothing calms me more than my wife's touch. Nothing. And so I love how John is saying this. You've got to have face-to-face connections. If not, you're sacrificing joy. You want all that Jesus has for you? Then you get in with Jesus' family. You know where Jesus is? Jesus is in the face-to-face. This is why he says in Matthew 18, where two or more are gathered, there I am. It's not that if there's only one, Jesus can't be there. Jesus is like, oh, there's not two. I can't come. Get two, and then I'll be there. No, what Jesus is saying is when two or more are gathered, I am there more. I'm in that one. This is why Matthew 18, I need a brother or a sister to point it out to me, not to make a comment on my blog post or my Twitter feed that says, how dare you? Listen, give up reading all comments and all mentions because if they really loved you, they'd come face to face. And so without that, And I would go a step further, not only individually, but churches. You know, we've got a great church here at Revolution Church, but we're not the only church in the kingdom of God that exists in Cherokee County. And it's high time for pastors to quit trying to compete against each other. Listen, when you drive by another church, they are not our competition. They are our family. And a win anywhere is a win everywhere. If that church is winning, we're winning because that's our team. And I just want to say that because I want to highlight a couple relationships that we as a church have. We have a a sister church. I love how he says that your elect sister greets you. We have a sister church in Cartersville called Cross Point City Church. They were started by the same church, Westridge Church, that planted us. 
And they had the exact same thing happen to them. Their founding pastor had a moral failure and was forced out. And now the pastor that is there is one of my best friends. And we are two years ahead of them, literally in the timeline of our churches. They just moved into their new building three weeks ago. And they've grown so much since then. Today, they're starting a third service. Yeah, awesome. And so he called me a couple weeks ago. He's like, what do I do? I'm like, bro, get ready. Hang on. He texted me yesterday and said, hey, we were planning on having baptisms outside today, but it's supposed to rain. Do you have some platforms that we could use? I said, hey, it just so happens we're having baptisms today, and the moment that we're done with them, you can come get the platforms, and y'all can baptize some folks tonight. So they're going to be here right after the last service, picking up our platforms. Why? Because the more people they baptize, we win. I had lunch with another pastor here in town, one of my other really great friends, Will Goodwin, the pastor of Oakleaf Church. They just built a new collaboration workspace in downtown Canton, a place called the Oak House. It has great coffee, meeting rooms, all kinds of stuff there. It's amazing. It's like the coolest place. And he's one of my best friends in, in local ministry here. And we want to, I hope you go there and support them because they're running a coffee shop. And the more that they sell coffee, then their church gets to use the building for free. This next week, we're providing lunch for Canton First Baptist because they have a new pastor. They've been through some tough times over the last couple years. They have a new pastor. He's doing great. We're just providing lunch for them to say as a way, hey, we love you. We're in the same community, reaching the same people. Why would we not? And so I just want to say to you as your pastor, let's celebrate not only what God's doing in and among our face-to-face stuff, but what he's doing elsewhere because it's the same God. It's one kingdom. All kinds of churches. And I promise you, if you do that, you'll get what you want. What do you need to do to get what you want? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this message. Thank you for the Apostle John and how he led his people well, giving them instructions. It's so helpful to me as a pastor to know what to do and what to say. And so God, I pray that we would hear these words today as the heart of a pastor that says we need to watch ourselves. But the best way we can watch ourselves is to have a we in our life that is helping us see ourselves correctly. And so God, there may be some people here today that don't know you, that aren't saved. And maybe by your Holy Spirit, you've opened their eyes to see the truth that life is only found in you. I pray right now you'd save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, if you've never trusted Jesus, that's step one. Being in right relationship with God. You cannot be in right relationship with others without first being in right relationship with God. So if you want to trust Jesus, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and be saved. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Pray not out loud, but repeat after me. It goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Now, if you just pray to trust Jesus, Very simply where you are, would you just simply raise your hand? Thank you. 
Raise it just for a second. We've got some men and women gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand. When they do, you can put your hand down. And those of you today that came prepared to get baptized, you can go ahead and stand up and head to the back so you can get a jump on the crowd and go get changed. And So if they're on your aisle, just let them move out quietly. You can go ahead and head to the back and get ready. But maybe there's some of you here that didn't come ready to get baptized, but God has spoken to you today and you just haven't professed it. You haven't made it public to everybody else. And if you want to get baptized, I would highly encourage you to stand up, go to the back right now too. Listen, don't feel weird about that. All we're going to do is celebrate it. Or maybe you just trusted Jesus and you can get baptized today. You can confess and profess all in the same day. So if that's you, you can head to the back and get ready as well. But then for the rest of us, I just want to encourage us with this message of 1 John is we can't walk rightly without a we. Yes, we're supposed to watch ourselves. We're supposed to, to ask the Holy Spirit to make us self-aware. But so often we need other people to help us do that. And so I don't know what's going on in your relationships, maybe in your own marriage, your own family, or even in the church. I just want to encourage you to be honest about your struggle. It's, it's scary to be honest. Listen, I get it. But I want you to know that we're the kind of church that we don't fear honesty. We don't fear someone saying, man, I'm just struggling. So if you're struggling, tell somebody you're struggling because it's okay to not be okay. Sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need professional help. Listen, Lindsay and I got a counselor. Not ashamed to say it because when something's wrong in my life, I go get an expert. I'm just not the expert when it comes to emotions. So maybe you need to talk to a pastor. Maybe you need to come down front and pray with somebody. Maybe you need to go see a counselor. Listen, do whatever it takes to watch yourself and let us continue to fight to be the kind of church where we celebrate the wins of what God is doing in other people's lives and yes we correct those that we love Father I thank you for your church I thank you for the power of it the power is in the message and thank you that you're drawing all people to yourself all different types of people, every kingdom, every tribe, every tongue. And so God, help us to not be loyal to any other kingdom more than we are loyal to yours. And any other word more than we're loyal to yours, but help us to be the kind of church that celebrates the success of others, the way you're blessing. And, and sometimes, God, your blessing comes in the form of pruning and it's painful. And let us walk with those that are struggling as well. Thank you for this family that you've given us. And yes, we're dysfunctional at times, but thank you for loving us and being with us. And we pray that you would continue to build us up to be more like Christ because that's what we want. And we ask it in his name. Amen.